VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. It's always an honor and pleasure to be with you each week to bring you amazing guests that really help you to live the kind of life that you want. Positive Living is all about practical strategies and positive solutions to help you create the lifestyle and the life and the health that you want as well. And the show has been on now, we're in our sixth year at Voice America, and you can log on to raskinresources.com or voiceamerica.com and hear all the shows that are archived on the site. It's a great program for you today. I've had this gentleman on the, on the show before, and he's terrific. His name is Jim Matavalli, and we're talking about green and being green. And the name of the book that he's the editor of and the author is Green Living, the e-magazine handbook for living lightly on the earth. He is also the editor of e-magazine. And e-magazine is published bi-monthly by Earth Action Network, Inc., which is a nonprofit organization located in Connecticut. Welcome, Jim. Great to be on. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Um, out of the gate, I have to ask you this before we get into uh, many of the articles you've written. That is, I'd really like you to comment on the Al Gore movie, which is an inconvenient truth. It's taken the country by storm. People talk about it all the time. And people are frightened by it. I mean, every time I talk to someone, they say, you know, this movie is scary. Comment. Well, I would say first off that it's not very often that a piece of entertainment will actually change the public dialogue on the mm-hmm. subject, mm-hmm. that will actually you know, change public opinion. And I think that An Inconvenient Truth did that. Uh, I personally had been involved in uh, doing a global warming book in 2004, which is called Feeling the Heat. And it covers mm-hmm. a lot of the same ground as An Inconvenient Truth. But I found in 2004 audiences were not really ready to hear about global warming. People didn't tune it in. They simply hadn't engaged with the subject. You know, they say that people don't engage, for instance, with presidential campaigns until maybe September, after Labor Day anyway. (laughs) It was kind of the same thing. I could just feel that audiences weren't connecting with the subject. Hmm. And uh, somehow, somehow the film, An Inconvenient Truth, in part because it's very good, uh, connected with the public consciousness mm-hmm. and actually changed minds and caused people to f- okay. uh, focus on what had certainly been a problem already. And Let's was talk already about what global warming really is. For people that don't really understand, we hear it all the time, but what is it really and what are the effects? Well, the effect really is that when we burn carbon fuels and coal and uh, gasoline are two examples of that, we emit something called carbon dioxide that's a byproduct. And that carbon dioxide is trapped in the atmosphere and it creates a sort of blanket that holds heat. Heat that would otherwise radiate away and out of the atmosphere is instead held in by this blanket formed of CO2 or carbon dioxide. And uh, as we emit more and more uh, CO2, we're creating a bigger and bigger blanket and we're holding in more and more heat mm-hmm. with the result of the uh, whole planet 
warming, and we see a definite warming trend. Uh, 2006 was the warmest year on record in the United States, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're likely to see other records shattered. We're seeing sea level rise. We're seeing uh, polar ice melt. We're seeing uh, quite dramatic effects. um, And what does that mean in the next 10 or 20 years? What does that mean for us? Well, I think one of the things is, uh, I was just reading something about this from uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists. I think we will see in the Northeast, uh, where I live, I think we'll see an effect of basically losing winter. The number mm-hmm. of days where we have snow cover will probably uh, drop by half in the next 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is obviously plays havoc with ski areas and the whole uh, winter recreation industry. And it also affects such things as the maple sugar industry and other traditional New England-type, you know, pastimes and behaviors will have to be altered by the loss Mm -hmm. of weather that's cold enough to sustain them. That's just one factor. That's what you might see in the Northeast. What happens then to the warmer climates that are already hot, like Florida, for example? Right, I think that the effect is actually much worse in places that are already very warm. Uh, say in in Connecticut, where I live, the temperatures in the summer may approach that of South Carolina now. Mm-hmm. But South Carolina could approach uh, temperatures you would see in India in the summer. Mm-hmm. And I lived in India, so I remember 110-degree heat mm-hmm. or 120-degree heat. Yeah, it's It's almost unbearably hot, and I think we may see that in some parts of the United States. In Arizona, for instance, um, I've seen actual extreme scenarios I don't necessarily buy into that say that places like Arizona could actually become uninhabitable. And Mm -hmm. the way they say that is you have extreme global warming coupled with uh, the loss of cheap oil, which makes air conditioning possible. Without cheap oil, you don't have cheap air conditioning, mm-hmm. and a, uh, an immeasurably hotter southwest without air conditioning is not a, it's not a pretty picture. All right, so let, let's backtrack now. Now we've laid all this out. What is it that w- can we as an individual make a difference in changing this, or is it out of our control? Well, the big changes have to come from industry, and uh, obviously by changing a few light bulbs from incandescence to compact fluorescence, you're not going to, uh, you know, change the whole scenario there. But if hundreds of millions of people do that, there's a big effect. And you're part of that big effect when you do uh, take an effort to change your family's uh, global warming picture. And you can do it in a lot of different ways. One way, and this is available through most of the country, is uh, by buying green power. You can become a green power customer, as I am. Now, what does that mean? Well, if it's offered through many utilities around the country, and essentially you pay a little bit extra on your bill, and that means that the company that gets the funds, uh, the extra money you generate, is able to buy wind power and solar power and put it into the grid, thereby offsetting coal power or um, you know fuel oil power or some other uh, polluting power. You can't directly buy wind power or solar power, but you can cause wind and solar power to be generated with your money. 
So if, if, if millions of people did just that and bought green power, we would see a change? We would see a change in the grid. The grid would be less coal and fuel oil dependent. And uh, right now, if you look at the share of solar power in the grid, it's tiny. It's like 0.001%. And um, I think even now we're developing conditions that are much more friendly towards uh, solar and wind power. Mm -hmm. Uh, For instance, Texas is now really growing. It's probably one of the fastest-growing wind Industries, they're building a lot of wind turbines, and they have an excellent wind resource there. We're seeing very large-scale solar uh, farms going online. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of growth in it, but it's still a tiny part of the grid itself. We need it to be a much bigger part of the grid. All right. Now, you wrote an article here in E-Magazine called A Nuclear Phoenix, Concern About Climate Change is Spurring an Atomic Renaissance. So let's talk about it from that part. Well, again, this is all related to global warming. Uh, the reason a number of environmentalists, very prominently placed environmentalists, are now decidedly more friendly towards nuclear power than they ever were in the past, mm-hmm. and I would say, for instance, in the 70s, the uh, environmental movement was united in opposition to nuclear power, and there was a huge anti-nuke movement, mm-hmm. which is now somewhat subsided because no one is proposing the construction of any new nuke plants, or no one has done for a long time. It's been since the mid-70s, effectively 30 years since anyone built a new nuclear plant. Mm -hmm. But um, President Bush and particularly Dick Cheney have been pushing uh, a nuclear renaissance. They're talking about something like 1,000 to 1,500 new uh, power plants around the world. And right now there's only 400 nuclear power plants in the whole world So that would triple the number that are out there. Hmm. And the only reason environmentalists are saying good things about this is nuclear power does not, at least in the way the plants operate, does not emit global warming gas, no CO2 production. Again, I talked earlier about how the uh, blanket around the earth in the atmosphere holds in uh, heat, and that's what leads to global warming. Yes, but doesn't it have radioactive materials that can hurt humans? Well, obviously, nuclear power plants uh, have the potential to do a huge amount of damage. We saw that at the Chernobyl and Three Mile Island accidents. There's also, since that time, has evolved the uh, the grim specter of uh, terrorism, uh, which has arisen over nuclear power plants. And we also have the intractable waste issue, and we have... Uh, we have other issues uh, so as well. So do the pros of building these plants outweigh the cons of the radioactive material and other things? Well, it's debatable. I'm, I'm not a huge nuke advocate. I simply saw my role in writing this article as putting out the facts of nuclear power, both the mm-hmm. positive and the negative, and uh, I think I did that. I mean, it looks at it in a lot of different ways. And uh, on the whole, I would probably have to say I'm somewhat anti-nuke, because I, I don't think our solution to global warming is ultimately going to be nuclear power. There are too many obstacles. It's too expensive. It's too dangerous. Uh, I don't think it's going to get us there. I and think, you write a whole article here called Living with Radiation, Human Health and Nuclear Exposure. Yes. I think it's important for people to know what happens when they're exposed to nuclear radiation. I don't think people are really all that aware of it. Again, because we haven't uh, built nuclear plants in such a long time, 
and even the accidents we had were 30 years ago when there's actual release mm-hmm. of radiation. Yeah. Um, Chernobyl, obviously, by far, represents the best example to study the effects of uh, radiation, as do the uh, Hiroshima and mm-hmm. Nagasaki bombs. All right, so, so, Jim, if someone was listening to this and they're raising a family and, and they're, you know, very proactive, what can they do? What can we do as individuals? I mean, you know, as they say, it takes a village, you know, not one person to make a change. What can we do? Should we be writing to legislators, congressmen? I mean, beside our, our own electricity and turning off light bulbs and getting special kinds of lights, what, should, well, what can we do? Well, the best thing that people can do is reduce their consumption of electricity. I have long maintained that at least 50% of what we need to do is to reduce our electric consumption and reduce our oil consumption. In with oil, it's fairly easy to do. If you're driving around in a gas-guzzling SUV that gets 12 miles per gallon, you can instantly cut your uh, fuel consumption in half by switching to a car that gets 25 miles per gallon, which is not hard to do. Now, uh, at the same time, you're having your global warming uh, impact, too, because that's directly tied to fuel economy. The better economy your car gets, the better it is for uh, mm-hmm. the planet in terms of global warming. There's what no about cars like Prius? Well, uh, Prius is probably the best vehicle for the environment on the road today. Mm-hmm. It gets uh, 60 miles per gallon, according to the EPA. Uh, the EPA is actually revising its standards, and the uh, the mileage on the Prius is going to go down. But right now it's rated at 60 miles per gallon, mm-hmm. and it's what's called a Sulev, which is a super ultra-low emission vehicle, which is about the cleanest category you possibly could have. The amount of global warming uh, gas and local pollutants that come out of that car is very, very low. And it's about the state of the art, I would say. Do you see in the future that we will all have this type of a car? Yes, and let me point out, I, I think, for instance, Toyota is going to be building all its cars as hybrids very soon. Really? But I think it's important to note that not all hybrids are created equal. For instance, the Lexus uh, 600H, if I have the name, I'm not sure the exact name of that vehicle, but it's a luxury hybrid uh, V8 engine, um, very uh, high-end. It's cost something like 90 I think actually it's up to about $100,000. And it's not very green any way you look at it. Maybe the emissions aren't terrible, but the fuel economy is just mediocre. And you would do a whole lot better with a lot of uh, non-hybrid vehicles. For instance, I own a Honda Fit, which gets about, uh, what does it get, 38 miles per gallon on the highway, Mm -hmm. 32 in town. Plus, it's very, very clean out of the tailpipe. There are a whole lot of hybrids that do worse than that, and there's nothing magical about the hybrid technology. Exhaust is exhaust. It can be a hybrid and a whole lot dirtier than uh, a lot of conventional vehicles out there. So people need to research. People need to realize there's no free lunch. If you have a big hybrid, it's going to be better than a conventional one, but not a whole lot better. But not People as need as a to hybrid. be able to satisfy themselves with smaller vehicles, really. Right. So it's got to be a smaller vehicle. That's kind really. of the bottom line. Yeah, it's got to be a smaller vehicle. All right, we're going to go to break. Well, let me top. just add, though, that the Honda Fit, despite being really tiny, is amazingly versatile because it's uh, 
seats fold up in three different ways, and I've, I've moved enormous amounts of uh, household goods and stuff in it. And, but no, uh, is that a hi- that's not a hybrid. It's not a hybrid, no. But they, actually, Honda's coming out with a uh, similarly sized hybrid that should be on the market pretty soon. That's be sort of like the, the fit. Mm-hmm. So you know, everything I'm hearing so far is leaning in the direction of going green. I mean, we're working with hybrids and we're working with our solar energy. I mean, it, it, it seems as though we're moving slowly, but we're moving in that direction. Yeah, and the American people are finally being clued into the importance of this. That's why I'm so in demand, you know. It's, it's why uh, so many people are calling me right now, because the environmental movement is suddenly in the news. It's mm-hmm. suddenly on the front burner. It's suddenly a uh, major concern of politicians. It's suddenly, uh, you know, our columnists are writing about it. What about solar-powered energy in your home, solar panels in your home? Well, uh, a lot of that depends on where you live because certain states, and Connecticut is an example of this, uh, where I live in Connecticut, I can get uh, at least 50% of the cost of a solar system paid for uh, through a state fund. The utilities Mm. uh, collect funds from uh, their customers and that fund is administered through the state and it's given out to people who do renewable energy projects. Mm. So if I put in a large-scale solar system, I would only pay for half of it. And that makes the uh, viability of solar about 100 times better. Mm. My payback is a whole lot less. So there really is a lot of hope. I mean, you're really speaking to a lot of, a lot of positives in terms of what's happening. I have a pretty positive outlook. I, I think you could easily give in to despair at the enormity of the task yes. that we face with global warming. People don't realize the magnitude of it. We have to do a whole lot more than just the uh, um, Kyoto Treaty, which we failed to sign. The Kyoto Treaty was just like a little toe in the water compared to what we need. We need total immersion, and uh, it's going to change the way people live. It, it's not going to be done without, you know, some disruption of the way people live. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we need to realize that. The sooner we realize that, the better. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if there's a failing of an inconvenient truth, it's that it doesn't address solutions. Supposedly Gore is working on another uh, film that will address that. But uh, I think he just addressed the problem in that film, not the solutions mm-hmm. to it. Well, but you've addressed the solution so far in this interview right. in terms of things that we can do. When we come back, we're going to talk more about being green um, in your home, uh, for your body, natural fiber clothing, uh, being able to be socially conscious in terms of inve- investing, uh, pesticides, what do we do about those, and there's just so many, so many other things. And you can give us a call today if you're listening today live, which is July 16th. If you're listening live at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, you can call us and ask Jim Matavali any environmental questions at 866-472-5788. And my guest today is Jim Matavali, who is the editor of e-magazine, the environmental magazine, and he is the author of Green Living, which is the e-magazine handbook for living lightly on the earth. And e-magazine is published bi-monthly by Earth Action Network, Inc., and it is a nonprofit, tax-exempt organization. And you can log on to emagazine.com. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. There's plenty more. We'll be right back. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts, Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest winemakers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where Women and Wine Angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women in Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women in Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Financial Truth with Carla Cargill will bring a passionate, spirit-filled voice to talk radio, which will empower you to unleash your wealth within. Listen live every Friday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Central Time on the Voice American Network as Carla shares common-sense wealth-building principles with a twist of humor that will take you from living paycheck to paycheck to living a life of more than enough. Join Carla every Friday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time and discover your money personality and learn the Ten Commandments to Wealthy Living. You will no longer be held captive by financial bondage. Let Carla Cargill teach you the financial truth, and the truth will set you free. VoiceAmerica.com Come back on, Jim. Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin, the great guest on today. We're talking about green living, healthy living, being environmentally conscious. My guest is Jim Matavali, who is the editor of E-Magazine, which is the environmental magazine, and you can log on to emagazine.com. And he's also the author of the book Green Living, the E-Magazine Handbook for Living Lightly on the Earth. Welcome back, Jim. Great to be on. Okay, good. You know, I want to get a little bit into another area. Of course, I'm moving into an area that's really my favorite and more of something that I'm very involved in, and that's health. Eating organically, eating healthy, eating green, um, you know, all of those things that really make a difference. Water, having clean and pure water. Please address some of this. Well, I think the fact that the uh, natural foods industry grows 25% a year mm. is evidence that the American people is tuned into this as yep. an issue. And uh, I think even if it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or 
whatever your politics are, you're certainly going to see uh, natural health as a priority. And a lot of people are uh, moving in that direction and are trying to eat healthier, to try to drink healthier. And I think one evidence of that is the fact that people are now buying a whole lot more water than they are soda. It's a big shift in the beverage industry. And uh, I think it's personally very regrettable that people's idea of drinking more water is to drink bottled water. I think bottled water is basically a pox on the earth. Mm -hmm. It's unnecessary since America has some of the cleanest and healthiest drinking water in the world. And we're shooting our uh, public water supply in the foot as well as polluting our planet by uh, switching to bottled water. Well, and one it also the, has a huge ahead. environmental impact in terms of transportation as these, uh, this water from all over the world is trucked and flown and uh, carried. When we could use our own, right, in our own right, backyard. When our tap water is perfectly good. It, yes, but we need to have filters, is that correct, in our tap water? No. <laughs> That isn't true either. People do tend to believe that. Mm. I think the beverage industry is responsible for the whole idea that our drinking water is somehow unsafe when we have some of the safest, the cleanest, the purest Mm. drinking water that is actually a whole lot cleaner Mm. than the water that is sold to us in bottles. Mm. These standards for drinking water are very, very strong. We only... uh, will end up undermining these standards if people stop drinking uh, stop drinking um, tap water. And mm. I think there is some reason to filter your water. In some areas, people have uh, lead pipes going into their house. So even if you have very clean, safe water uh, being shipped to you, it may get a little bit of lead in it from the lead pipes in your house. And I don't think that it's a bad idea to filter your water, but you're not going to be sent to the hospital if you drink something out of the tap. I mean, it's really very good water. Well, I, I interview lots of folks that talk about this, and they all say that we should not drink bottled water, that we should be filtering our water and doing reverse osmosis. And then the other thing that I hear is that when you drink out of a plastic bottle that, and you leave that plastic bottle in your car or somewhere where it gets heated, that you're, trans- you're actually transmuting the water and it's not good for you. Sure. I would think so. I think it's possible for uh, some of the ingredients in that plastic to leach into the water, uh, under, particularly under those high heat conditions you're talking about inside a car where it can get up to 130 degrees mm. Fahrenheit. Mm. I think that's a real concern. Hmm. But, uh, and again, I would ascribe all of this to the beverage industry, which to me is diabolical in the way it operates and the way it convinces people to pay more than gasoline for essentially the same product that they have out of their tap. A gallon of tap water costs something like .0003 cents, and a gallon of bottled water from the supermarket costs you 3 or $4. And why people feel they need to spend that is, is beyond me when their tap water is perfectly clean. But, I, you know, I lose this argument in my own house where... Yeah. Uh, my wife just bought a bunch of Poland Spring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I hear that a lot. Let's, um, and we could talk about the whole water controversy forever, but let's move on Actually, to... my daughter is here, and she's making faces at me. <laughs> water. Well, you might, I might make faces at you too, Jim, when it comes to the bottled water. <laughs> I'm a proponent of that. But I do have reverse osmosis in my house, which I, which I really enjoy. Let's well, move... I think that's fine, but don't think you can't drink your tap water, because you really can all right. Without filtering it. All right. Well, you'll have to write an article on that in e-magazine. Oh, we did. 
It was a cover story. Where? We did a, it was one of our more uh, controversial cover stories. It was probably a couple years ago. Okay. All right, so people can if go you to... just go onto our website at emagazine.com and just enter bottled water, it should come up. Okay. You, All right. Then we'll, the okay, we'll let that argument rest there with that article then, and people can write to you as well. All right, let's talk about kicking the white stuff, which is how to get more color and health into our diets in terms of, again, eating more green. Uh, I'm sorry, say that again? I was talking about getting more color and health into our diets. Yes, I think people stuff, tend to. Your article says people tend to eat white. You could say. I mean, a lot of their food that people eat are pastas and white rice and stuff like that. And uh, what they really need in their diet is more fresh vegetables and fruit. And I think we've gotten out of the habit of, of uh, going to the produce section of the supermarket, and it's a very important part of the supermarket. We're so used to packaged convenience foods, and uh, we don't like the fact that these fresh vegetables and fruit spoils, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, we're just sort of uh, conditioned to go for convenience. But I think that really short changes your diet because you end up um, without these essential uh, vitamins and minerals that Mm -hmm. come with fresh produce. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, let me just say about that, I think it's very important. Not only is it important to eat uh, fresh vegetables and fruit. It's important also to eat locally, and we recently did a big story on this also. They actually say that local is the new organic, mm-hmm. and essentially what that means is that um, I mentioned briefly the food transportation issue, whereby the average piece of fruit or produce travels 1,500 miles before we eat it, and there's not only a loss of freshness in that, there's a huge cost in terms of uh, global warming gas and uh, consumption of fossil fuels and uh, not to mention traffic congestion because mm-hmm. most of the traffic on our highways now is, uh, you know, trucks and uh, moving goods around, which used to be on trains, which are much more yeah. energy efficient. So um, there's a whole local food movement, which includes farmers' markets mm-hmm. and uh, what they call community-supported agriculture or CSAs where you can buy a share of a farmer's crop and uh makes a big difference. You know, Barbara the, Kingsolver has a new book about eating locally. I think it's very important. Well, there is a there was a whole movement of foot back in the 80s and you hear about it some but not as much called macrobiotic eating. And one of the things macrobiotics talks about is eating locally and eating food within the season because your body is adjusted to the climate. And so that if you lived in Connecticut, you'd eat an apple, but you wouldn't necessarily eat a pineapple. You'd go to Hawaii to eat a pineapple. Right. And that was, that was really the whole theory. And you, and you read, and there are lots of books about that, eating by the seasons. And another thing that I heard recently is that there was an article that supposedly if you eat local honey, honey that's locally grown, that that will help you in terms of building up your immunity to certain bacteria and infections. Uh, I hadn't heard that, but it sounds sounds plausible. Mm. I think a lot of food loses its nutritive value when it's um, you know stored or treated with preservatives or uh, you know sits on the shelf for a long time. So I, that seems feasible to me, but I don't know anything about that particular example. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, but I, I should say, by the way, that we have a crisis in terms of our um, bee population and our honey production. Yes because of a variety of factors, some of which we're not even sure of. One of them is tracheal mites, which have gotten inside the throats of honeybees, 
and uh, led to drastic reduction. But bees are our pollinators, so mm-hmm. we're in drastic uh, mm-hmm. condition if we lose our bees. The reason that I, when I say that, and you hear me laughing a little bit, is that my, my symbol is the bumblebee. And what I do is I'm a pollinator of these kinds of programs and this kind of information. I'm the networker that finds people and resources, whether it's a seminar, whether it's a radio show. So I'm really very key to the bid. <laughs> That's great. I, I have a, a, a bird and bee-friendly backyard <laughs> that we planted a lot of things like bee balm and uh, bee bush to uh, encourage bees yeah. and uh yeah. We, we're totally organic there, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, I don't know why people want to turn their backyards into virtual deserts mm-hmm. through the use of pesticides. And, yeah. Uh, well, I was going to talk about that next. And before I get to pesticides, we've got a couple of minutes. I want to talk about eating outside and planet-safe picnics because, you know, we're eating out a lot, and what about biodegradable greenware or what about the plastic plates we're using or the styrofoam plates we're using, which are disastrous? Well, that's an interesting point. There is actually a movement to um, to, to uh, use biodegradable uh, picnic ware, and a lot of it is made from corn and other substances. Hmm. But uh, you really have to be fairly careful about that because unless the conditions are right, in a landfill, your substance is not going to biodegrade anyway, even if it is biodegradable. Mm -hmm. An example of that is newspapers, which are certainly very biodegradable. If you take newspaper and you bury it in a landfill where it doesn't get any sun or any oxygen, it will not decompose. You can find a 30-year-old newspaper in a landfill that's still readable. Mm -hmm. And the same thing would happen to a biodegradable uh, fork made out of corn. Mm-hmm. So if it's just going to end up thrown in a landfill, it's not going to do anybody any good. Isn't if styrofoam up, the worst, uh, too? What's Isn't that? Isn't styrofoam the worst? Styrofoam is the worst, probably, in terms of its projected uh, life. It just doesn't break down. Mm. And uh, I think even even at uh, great things like the uh, Live Earth concert that was held last week, um According to my first-hand sources, they were serving food in styrofoam, mm. and I would think that they would be a little bit more, um, you know, planet-friendly about that. Mm. So that this new tableware is made from corn and potato starch, and even sugarcane waste. And um, using it, you would probably not notice any difference, mm-hmm. but it can be safely composted, and it can, um, if if it's composted properly, I think it's a great thing. Before the break, real quick, let's talk about pesticides, big in the summer. Okay. Well, um, I think that one of the main reasons that we're seeing a growth in uh, the natural foods area is that people are going organic. And the big advantage of organic is that you know that it wasn't sprayed with pesticides. You can get pesticide-free food. But you can also get food that is not genetically modified, and I think there's a whole lot of concern about that. In our new issue, we also talk about food irradiation. And again, with organics, you know you're not getting irradiated food. Mm-hmm. And like half of our food is now genetically modified, and, uh, and we may be approaching that with the amount of food that's getting irradiated. So I think it's very important uh, It's very important that we, we buy organic for that reason. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a break. My guest is Jim Montevalli, who is the editor 
of e-magazine, the environmental magazine. You can log on to emagazine.com. And he is the author of Green Living, the e-magazine handbook for living lightly on the earth. And you can write to him at emagazine.com. You can call in after the break at 866-472-5788. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Albert Einstein once said, nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. West Coast Business Review and host Amy Campbell presents Show Me the Business. Each week, you'll hear exciting guests give you vital information on advancing your business and career. Learn how others have built their empires, from best-selling authors to renowned entertainers. Listen every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific time on voiceamericaradio.com. Visit our website at www.westcoastbusinessreview.com. West Coast Business Review's Show Me the Business, connecting you to the business world. In the ever-changing world of real estate, Mark Heller and Brian Church bring to Internet Talk Radio all the latest information, trends, and changes in the real estate market. And these guys pull no punches. That's Real Estate Talk with Mark Heller and Brian Church every Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. When we are back, you are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. We are talking today about being green and being environmentally conscious. My guest is Jim Matavali, who is the editor of eMagazine, and you can log on to eMagazine.com. He's also the author of Green Living, which is the eMagazine handbook for living lightly on the earth. And you can write to him at eMagazine.com. There's still time to call in if you're listening on July 16th today. And that would be uh, 866-472-5788. Welcome back, Jim. Okay, we've covered a lot. Um, let's talk a little bit about vaccinations for kids, that whole thing of parenting and working with our children in terms of drugs and vaccines and, and that kind of thing. Well, it's a very interesting issue. Um, a number of parents have been opting out from vaccinations on the evidence that some kids have gotten 
sick from it. There's a potential connection between vaccination, uh, mercury in vaccines, and uh, the onset of autism. And mm-hmm. uh, while I think most vaccines no longer have mercury in them, there's still a lot of concern out there. And uh, I understand that uh, parents uh, are worried about that. I mean, I have two daughters, and certainly I got worried about the effect of vaccination. But I think against that, you have to weigh the fact of what happens when you don't vaccinate children, and it's really quite a mm-hmm. dangerous situation. And so I, I think it's people have forgotten the big uh, epidemics that uh, that rippled through our society and killed millions of people. So how do we know what to do in terms of to vaccinate or not? Well, I think you it's one of those things where you have to sort of make up your own mind. You have to look at the evidence and then do what you think is best for mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. family. And if, uh, in my, you know, just for myself, we decided to go with the getting the kids vaccinated. Mm-hmm. What about some other things that we need to to work with in terms of um reducing toxic exposure to our children? Well, there's a lot you think you can do around your house to reduce your toxic exposure. And I think people are probably not aware that the air inside their house is two to three times worse mm-hmm. than the uh, outside air. Mm-hmm. So even if if you have already fairly stressed air quality, it's going to be worse inside your house. And there's a number of things you can do to reduce what's called off-gassing within your house. If you have furniture that is put together with a lot of uh, highly toxic glues, for instance, mm. those glues are going to off-gas and uh, reduce your air quality. Mm. Things we wouldn't think Likewise, of. carpet does that quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, particularly cheaper, low-quality carpet. And they're now making carpet that does not off-gas. Same thing and with paint. Same thing with same, paint. exact same thing with paint. And the problem with paints is what's called volatile organic compounds, or VOX. Um, And you can now buy paint that is low or zero uh, VOX. Mm -hmm. That does not... uh, I still think there's a whole lot of um, precautions you can take. Like, for instance, one one way, and I think a lot of people are doing this, is taking out the wall-to-wall carpeting in their house and going with area rugs and refinished floors, and it certainly looks nice and... Um, carpeting also harbors quite a lot of uh, um, bacteria and mm-hmm. uh, dust bunnies and all, <laughs> all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. And uh, in many ways, you're better off without carpeting. I can just see the carpeting industry hmm. going through the roof on this. But there are lots of different uh, very low-emission carpeting that's now being sold. Mm-hmm. Again, it responds to a need and a uh, a marketplace awareness. So what and you're you can saying buy is furniture that doesn't off-gas. You can uh, buy paint that doesn't off-gas. Mm-hmm. You can really reduce this problem quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But just be aware. So when you're making your purchases, ask some of these questions. Right. Ask if the paint is a paint that off-gasses. And you can do things like it's probably not a good idea to uh, move into a room that's been painted the next day, even if the paint is dry. Yep. It's probably in an off-gassing situation at that time, and you're better off uh, you know, giving it a little bit more time and specifically giving it a lot of ventilation mm-hmm. so that it airs out. All right, Jim, we're almost at the end of the interview. If, if people get one thing out of this today on being green, on being environmentally conscious, there's so much. But what's your major message? My major message is people need to reduce 
their footprint on the earth and there are a number of ways we can do this the planetary crisis we're in in particular revolving around global warming demands that people reduce their footprint and you can do that in a number of ways by driving a smaller car by not driving as much by not leaving every light on in your house by replacing incandescent lights with uh, compact fluorescence all these things can be done and uh, done effectively and um, they won't really change your lifestyle any. In fact, with things like replacing your light bulbs, you will actually save a whole lot of money hmm. because uh, compact fluorescents last two or three times longer and uh, they're a third as much to operate. So you do save a great deal of money over the long term. Okay. That's true of a lot of the energy efficiency improvements you can make in your house. They will cost a little bit more up front, but in the long term you'll save money. Thank you so much, Jim, for coming on the program. All right, anytime. Thank you. Stay on the line. Thank you so much. Jim Matavalli, who is the author of Green Living, the e-magazine handbook for living lightly on the earth, and the editor of e-magazine, and you can log on to emagazine.com and also ask your questions then. Next week, my guest is Ted Zeth, Ph.D., who is a psychologist in the San Francisco Bay Area. His book is The Highly Sensitive Person's Companion, Daily Exercises for Calming Your Senses in an Overstimulating World. And again, this is this helps folks who have heightened sensitivity and who really can work with specific aspects such as relationships, work, daily pressures, exercise, and more. Remember, folks, that you can listen to the archive programs that are on positive living by going to raskinresources.com and radio, and then it will direct you there, or go right to voiceamerica.com. Positive Living is on Mondays, and it's at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, and we broadcast on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern and noon Pacific. And all of the shows, including this one I just did with Jim Adavali, will be archived on the program so you can listen at your leisure uh, when you would like. And so remember, folks, um, as we say all the time on Positive Living, the mantra here is to really be aware to stay healthy, to stay happy, to know that you can make your dreams come true, get the support you need, and just be conscious of what's good and around you, and particularly for this program, green around you. Until next time, you're listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. Have a great Monday and a great week. listening to Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com and tune in next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, right here on VoiceAmerica.com.